Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Wrestling from the Crowd. My name is Ray, and this week is episode 6. Now, last week, I think I told you guys that I reached 200 downloads. I think this episode now, I am officially at 250 plus downloads. So I just want to take the time to say thank you to those who are continuing to support my podcast and my journey in the podcasting world. And if you want to reach me, if you want to contact me, you can reach me on Twitter at Wrestling From or Facebook at Ray Colazzo. Now, this episode pertains to Raw, SmackDown, AW, AW Dark, NXT, and NXT UK. Just like always, unless I miss a show, then I won't really cover it because then I didn't really watch it. So I don't want to give you something that I truly didn't watch. So this week's episode, we're going to start off with Raw. Raw opens up with a Randy Orton promo. He says he didn't walk out the champion at Clash of Champions, but he left in an ambulance. Then he begins to talk about the legends who attacks him. He goes over who attacked him, what they did. He also mentions that they needed to be introduced to who the real legend killer was. Then he tells Drew, he says, I'm talking straight to you. If you want to cement your legacy, you have to face me one more time in a hell and a cell. Then we see Drew McIntyre come through the door and attack Randy Orton until the security shows up. Now, where were these security last week when all the legends were getting attacked? I wish they responded this fast to last week's attack by Randy Orton. So I guess now we're going to wait for Drew's response to see if he's going to fight in a hell and a cell. We all know what's going to happen, so there's no surprise here. After that, we see a six-woman tag match between Selena Vega, Lana, Natalia versus Mandy, Brooke, and Asuka. We've seen Selena Vega still have it out for Asuka in this match. We've seen every chance she got, she would attack Asuka. We've seen some good chemistry between Mandy, Brooke, and Asuka. We've seen some cracks in the, the Zelina, Natalia, and Lana uh, tag team. But we've seen Mandy Rose pick up the win with a blind tag on Asuka. Then, after the match, we see Nia and Shayna Baszler come out. We see Zelina Vega then sneak off away while Nia and Baszler attack Lana and Natalia. Now, Nia Jax was going to put Natalia through a table, but Lana ended up dragging her off of Nia Jax. And we see Lana get put through a table once again. I think this makes it three weeks in a row that we've seen Lana get put through a table. I think this is her new gimmick now. Now, I guess every week we're going to see her get put through a table. Now, we move on to a backstage segment where we see R-Truth holding his own mock draft you see on the list he had like the buzzard he had porky the pig he had he had a couple other other funny characters on there it wasn't real wrestlers but we see a janitor behind him and the janitor tries to attack r-truth for the mop but r-truth ends up ducking which hits the ref who came out of nowhere i don't even know where he came from then we see r-truth try to run he slips on the wet floor and gets pinned the janitor is then revealed to be drew gulag now we've seen these guys feuding for this title like a thousand times already. Is anyone else getting as tired of this championship as I am? I'm really tired of the 24-7 championship. I don't really care for it anymore. It's just become dumb. It's only the same couple guys. It's only been R-Truth, Jugulag, Akira Tozawa. It used to be, uh, I think it used to be Riddick Moss and a couple other guys. I think Mojo Rawley as well. I just don't see the need for this title anymore. It just needs to go away. After that, we see another backstage segment with MVP who tries to recruit for the Hurt Business before for the draft. He tells Apollo and Ali and Ricochet that, you know, no matter what brand you guys go on or no matter what brand the Hurt Business go on, we always are going to dominate. And then we see Apollo and Ali walk away, but you 
see Ricochet stop and look back. So could we see Ricochet join the Hurt Business so that way he can be back with Cedric Alexander? I don't think we will because Ricochet is usually a standalone guy. So I don't think we'll see Ricochet in the Hurt Business, but they're trying to tease it. After that, we've seen Rollins and Murphy versus Dominic Mysterio and Humberto Carrillo. We see Rollins ask for the mic before the match and Buddy hesitates to give Seth Rollins the mic. Then he says he's got to get something off his chest, him being Buddy Murphy. He says if he wants Seth to be his messiah and him to continue to be his disciple, he has to apologize. And Seth Rollins then says, apologize to you? And Buddy says, no, not to me, to Aaliyah. So we see Buddy Murphy still trying to get on Aaliyah's good side. We see the turns, we see the cracks in the messiah and the disciple, which Rollins kept telling Buddy Murphy. He kept saying, you are disciple messiah, disciple messiah. And he just kept reminding him on what he is. Rollins then says he saved the buddy. He also could expose everything, which includes her saying to Buddy that, you know, they only focused on Dominic. They don't care about what she does. She's never been the overachiever in the family. They always look for Dominic to do that. So basically Rollins says he could have exposed a lot, but didn't. Then we see Dominic and Carrillo rush to the ring. They attack them as soon as the match starts. I don't know if these two are now going to be like a real tag team, but they have a lot of good chemistry as a tag team. Uh, we see Rollins and Buddy continue to argue through the match. They were tagging each other blindly. Rollins tells Buddy not to tag him until he says to. Then a couple of minutes later, we see Buddy tag Rollins blindly and goes for the pin. Rollins then drags him off and says once again, Messiah Disciple. And Buddy just looks at him like he really wants to attack this guy. Then later on the match, we see Dominic then throw out Seth Rollins. But we see Seth Rollins then get saved by Buddy Murphy and then they argue again. Seth says, I don't need your help. I don't need you to save me. I can do it on my own. And then we see Buddy go back in the ring after saving Seth Rollins. Then he catches Humberto Carrillo in the air with the flying knee to pick up the win. Then he walks off on Seth Rollins. So we see a lot of cracks in his team and I know they're going to break very soon. Seth Rollins is going to be fine on his own and so is Buddy. We've seen Buddy have a solo career many times, especially when he was a cruiserweight and when he put on a really good match against Roman Reigns. So I know that both these guys will be okay on their own. After that, we see another backstage segment of Braun Strowman. He demands a match from Adam Pearce and Adam Pearce says he'll give him an unsanctioned match if he can find someone. And Braun then walks away. Then Keith Lee walks up to Adam Pearce and says, sign me up. So for the second week in a row, there is no Raw on the ground and we see Braun Strowman back on Raw. Could he be drafted to Raw? Most likely, I think he will be. So with that being said, we're going to see Keith Lee versus Braun Strowman in an unsanctioned match. After that, there was another segment where Rollins finds Buddy Murphy and tells him that Buddy needs to apologize to him and he has till 10 p.m. or there will be hell to pay. So I guess we'll finally see this team implode at 10 p.m. Next, we had the KO show with special guest Bray Wyatt. Kevin says he feels different since coming in contact with The Fiend. Kevin then calls out Bray Wyatt, but the Firefly Funhouse appears on screen. Bray says him and Kevin are friends that he shouldn't worry that friends will never hurt each other and then begins to sing a song about friends. I I thought it was pretty funny. Like I said, Firefly Funhouse is probably the best thing WWE has come up with in years and I think it's a really good segment and Bray Wyatt does a fantastic job of hosting the Firefly Funhouse. Then Bray says Kevin should have just minded his own business. He says that because Kevin Owens mentions Alexa Bliss and how she's been brainwashed and Bray Wyatt says that's none of your business. That's between him and her. He also says that Kevin Owens will learn on Friday. Owens says he 
won't wait till Friday. He'll find Bray. Then he walks up the ramp. We see Aleister Black then attack Kevin Owens from behind, giving him a black mask. So we see their rivalry is still continuing. Now, my question to you is, do we see The Fiend, Alexa Bliss, and Aleister Black all in the same brand at one point in time? And will they be like a new faction? Will they be the official Firefly Funhouse faction? After that, we had another backstage segment where Drew McIntyre says he accepts Orton's challenge. And as long as him and Orton are in the same building, he will keep attacking Orton. So now it's truly official. We will see Drew McIntyre fight Randy Orton for the WWE Championship at Hell in a Cell. And I think it's going to be a really, really good match. These two haven't really put on the bad match. So I'm kind of looking forward to this and kind of looking forward to see the end of such a good rivalry. Next, we've seen Braun Strowman versus Keith Lee in that unsanctioned match Adam Pearce advised us that will happen. Then to start the match, we've seen a test of strength. Both men trying to lock horns, trying to see who's more powerful. Remember, we've seen these two clash before. I believe it was during the Survivor Series invasions by NXT, Raw, and SmackDown. But we see both of these men then head to the outside, which led to a count out. So both of these men are counted out. This match is over by now. But Braun Strowman was not happy, so he ends up shoulder charging Keith Lee through a barricade. So Braun Strowman thinks it's over. He walks off. He turns around. He sees Keith Lee stand up, and he looks pissed. So then Keith Lee ends up walking towards Strowman while Strowman's walking back. Then these two super heavyweights clash once again. Keith Lee then throws him into the LED board at the top of the ramp. We see Strowman then stumbling at the edge and you're like, ooh, I know what's going to happen next. Keith Lee then charges straight at Strowman, knocking them both off of the ramp and they fall through tables at the bottom of the ramp. So these two are going to clash again. I know this is not the last time we'll see these guys. Who knows if we'll even see them in a Hell in a Cell. Maybe they'll fight each other in a Hell in a Cell. I'm not really sure where they're trying to go in this direction. I think they're trying to give Braun something to do since Raw Underground isn't available at the moment and the same thing with Keith Lee. So if we do see these two men fight at Hell in a Cell, it's going to be carnage and it's going to be a really, really tough match. After that, we've seen another Bianca Belair segment. This time she's having a game night with a bunch of friends that I'm sure aren't really her friends. And you see Bianca pushing the buzzer and answering all the questions correctly. And I just think these segments are terrible for Bianca Belair. They just make her seem like a joke. Then she says she's the EST of WWE. We haven't seen her really have a match yet in the WWE, mainly on the main roster. But I think that they should have just skipped these little segments and they should have had her wrestle already so people can see that she's a really good wrestler and not by right by, by playing board games or running on the track or, or working on the gym. Nobody wants to see that. We want to see her wrestle. That's the only way you're going to prove to us that she's the EST of WWE. So I'm really tired of seeing these segments. After that, there was another backstage segment where Drew Gulag is trying to hide behind a big trash cart. But our truth pops out and says, Randy Orton, that's the worst Drew Gulag disguise I've ever seen. We all know that Randy Orton dressed up as a janitor to attack the legend. So that's what he was going based off of. Then we see Drew Gulag run, but he crashes into a garbage can where Tozawa then falls out. So we see Tozawa was hiding in a garbage can. Then Drew Gulag runs towards R-Truth. R-Truth throws him into the big trash cart. He jumps in. Akira Tozawa follows behind him and they're like scuffling. We see garbage bags flying and then we see the referee count one, two, three and we're all like, uh, who's going to come out of this? Is it going to be Tozawa? And R-Truth comes out again as the 24-7 champion. This is probably his 44th or 45th time winning this championship. The next match on the card was the Hurt Business versus Apollo Crews and Ricochet. MVP cuts a promo before the match starts. He says Apollo and Ricochet may have won the match last week, but they can never win 
win the war. Then he sends a message to Retribution saying that there's hell to pay because apparently Retribution cost them their match. We know that their name popped up on the Tron last week during their match. So they're trying to say that's what caused them to lose. Then Ali, Apollo, and Ricochet come out. Ali says MVP always has an excuse that, you know, he's saying he lost the match because they got scared of a little name Retribution showing up on the screen. Ricochet then teases join the Hurt Business. He's like, you know, guys, I have something to tell you. And like, he looks away and he's like, ah, I'll never join the Hurt Business. Then he begins to mock MVP. MVP then goes on to say, you know what? You think it's funny? I'm not mad. I'm not hurt. But tonight, Ricochet, you're going to be on the business end of some hurt. And Ricochet then says, you know, I've been on the end of hurt since forever. You guys are always giving me a beating, but I always come back. MVP then tells Shelton Benjamin and Bobby Lashley to focus more on Ricochet. So that's exactly what they do. When the match starts, the Hurt Business dominate Ricochet for a while. Until mid-match, he gets the hot tag to Apollo Crews, who changes the tie of the match, but it wasn't able to stop Bobby Lashley's reign. Bobby Lashley then one-hand spine busters Apollo Crews and then applies the Hurt Lock and taps out Apollo Crews once again. So we see Apollo Crews once again lose to Bobby Lashley. I don't think he's beaten Bobby Lashley at all. But when they're leaving, Ricochet then says they're going to keep coming back till they get tired of them. And in my head, I'm like, I'm tired of it. I don't want to see this no more. I don't want to see the Hurt Business go against Ali, Ricochet, and Apollo Crews again. I'm tired of this. Let, let the Hurt Business do something else. If they're going to focus on Retribution, let them focus on Retribution. Other than that, I don't want to see this feud anymore. Let's just scrap this feud and let's just call it an end. With the draft coming up, we don't know. We might see Ricochet go to SmackDown. Hopefully Apollo Crews doesn't follow him. But we need to see something from Ricochet. I'm tired of him being a jobber to other superstars. He needs that shine he had back in NXT. He doesn't have that on the main roster. So hopefully this draft does a lot for Ricochet's career. Now we go to another backstage segment where Buddy runs into Aaliyah. She says she's been waiting to talk to him all night. He then says that he's sorry. She then asks him, does he even consider apologizing to Seth? And he just walks away. Next, we see Ali then confront the Hurt Business backstage and offers a match to MVP. He says if last week you think was a fluke, then I'll show you tonight one-on-one and you could bring your little Hurt Business buddies. Now it is time for the Messiah deadline. Now it's time to see, will Buddy Murphy apologize to his Messiah, Seth Rollins? We see Rollins come out and call out Buddy Murphy. Buddy Murphy takes his time to come out a little bit, which was kind of ominous, but he ends up coming out eventually. Rollins tells Murphy to apologize so that they can move forward, but Buddy seems to be having a battle within himself. Like, he doesn't want to apologize. Rollins tells him he doesn't want to go down this road. Everyone's been down this road, and those who've been down this road before have lost an eye. Rollins then begins to force Murphy to apologize. Says he saved his career. He made him. Then he begins to mush Buddy. Then Buddy had enough. He begins to attack Seth Rollins. They begin to brawl. Rollins then tries to use a kendo stick, but Buddy Murphy dodges the attack. Then he takes hold of the kendo stick and begins to beat Seth Rollins with the kendo stick. Rollins then begs him to stop. Buddy says, apologize. Rollins does apologize. Buddy says, not to me, to her. Then Rollins tells Aaliyah he's sorry. He didn't mean to bring her into this and begs Buddy to stop. Then Buddy then has a change of heart. He drops the stick. As soon as he drops the kendo stick, Rollins then pounces and attacks his eyes. Then he beats him with the kendo stick. As soon as he's done beating him with the kendo stick, he goes outside the ring, tries to get a chair. But when he turns back around to get in the ring, he sees Aaliyah comforting Buddy Murphy and she's holding her hand down. She's telling Rollins to stop. So Rollins then exits the ring and walks up the ramp. Then 
then the Mysterio family come out to take Aaliyah. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, why do you keep putting yourself in this predicament? And, you know, we see that the Mysterio family is struggling to keep a hold on Aaliyah. Aaliyah feels like she's not the golden child that Dominic is. So I feel like this isn't over. I feel like Rollins is now going to be more angry. I feel like now he's going to expose more. So now we're going to learn more about Aaliyah and Buddy's conversations because of this attack by Buddy on Seth Rollins. Next, we've seen the Riot Squad versus Nia and Shayna Baszler for the Raw Women's Tag Team Championships. We've seen a quick start from the Riot Squad, but Nia ended that quickly. Nia, every time that the Riot Squad got on the momentum streak, Nia just ended it. Nia and Shayna Baszler dominated most of the match. Liv then gets a hot tag to change the match, but like I said, Nia Jax just didn't let anything go down. Baszler then submits Ruby Riot, and she holds the submission even after the match was over. Liv Morgan then just has to sit there and watch Shayna Baszler choke out Ruby Riot because Shayna Baszler won't let go and Liv Morgan's trying everything and Shayna Baszler then finally decides to let go and all you see is a lifeless Ruby Riot just laying there while Liv Morgan is just crying and just scared because of what just happened to her friend. So by the looks of this, I don't see Nia and Shayna Baszler dropping these tag titles anytime soon. I think that now that they're becoming better friends or they're having better chemistry in the ring, that they're looking more like a team and I don't know if there's any team who's really going to knock them off. Now, like I've been saying this whole time, the draft is coming up. So the whole landscape to change, there could be a team that might be worthy of fighting them. I don't really know of any women's tag teams on SmackDown. Are there any women's tag teams on SmackDown? I have to figure that out. But with the draft, a lot of things can change when it comes to those tag team titles. We now move on to our co-main event, and that is Mustafa Ali versus MVP. The match starts off with MVP in control. Then Ali ends up changing the tide. He then throws MVP to the outside, and I guess MVP got upset that he was getting, you know, not the upper hand against Ali. So then he sends the Hurt Business to attack. But before they can attack, Retribution appears. So remember, we've seen last week Retribution. Their logo appeared, but not them. They were still on that 14-week quarantine. We've seen MVP ask Ali if he's in. Ali says, yes, I will join you. And then they all form a circle so they can try to fend off Retribution. But then we see Mustafa Ali run out the ring like he was going to confront Mace and T-Bar. Then he looks at them like he's going to fight. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of brave. But then I'm like, hold on, this looks kind of fishy. Ali then turns around and tells Retribution to attack. And Retribution then overwhelmed the Hurt Business. We see the Hurt Business, you know, they try to fight back. They try to make a stand, but they couldn't. There was just too much of them. We see Retribution then go in the ring. And we see Ali standing front and center with his hand out. We learn that Ali is now the leader of Retribution. Now, this came as a shocker to me. I didn't expect this to happen at all. But I guess it's good. They needed somebody big. And Ali was getting big before COVID started. So I I assume that they went this route because now they're going to give Ali something to do and make him front and center. And it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. We'll just have to see where it goes. Also, it comes to notice that Ali was probably the hacker the whole time. We all remember the hacker and he was teased for a while and then he went away. And that's when the whole retribution thing started. So that means Ali could have been the hacker. So now we have to wait till next week to see what happens, to see why Ali joined Retribution. He's been saying on Twitter it's because, you know, they weren't given a fair shot. And then he showed all the thing that people have been through who are in Retribution. So I guess he has an ulterior motive on why he created Retribution. And we'll just have to wait till Monday for him to explain it more to us. Next was the main event. It was a six-man tag between Orton, Bobby Roode, and Dolph Ziggler versus Drew McIntyre and the Street Profits. Drew instantly tried to attack Randy Orton before the 
match even started. That was his focus this whole match. His mind wasn't in a six-man tag team match. He wanted to be a one-on-one against Randy Orton. We've seen Randy Orton even try to hit an early RKO on a distracted Drew McIntyre. We've seen that, you know, Street Profits, they, they, they were going back and forth with Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler. So I feel like there's a potential feud there between them because they do need new challengers for their Raw Tag Team Championship. I thought this was a decent match. I didn't think it was really to show off the Street Profits and Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. I feel like this was more to build up the rivalry between Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton. The end finish was we seen Drew McIntyre get distracted by Bobby Roode, who he claymores, but when he kips up, Randy Orton then hits an RKO for him to pick up the victory over Drew McIntyre. So that's big. We see Randy Orton pin the WWE Champion, and that's really, really big heading into Hell in a Cell. So like I said, this was mainly for them. I don't really think that it was for the Street Profits and the other team, but I know that at Hell in a Cell, we'll probably see the Street Profits defend against Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler. So that concludes Raw. Raw Raw pretty much was the same thing. It was just a different twist on things. Uh, One of my favorite moments was just seeing Ali get the spotlight. We now see him as the leader of Retribution. I'm interested to see where that goes. I'm also interested to see a Buddy versus Seth Rollins match. I think these two can give you a pay-per-view quality match, and that's what we need out of the both of them. Also, it'll be very interesting to see where this Keith Lee-Braun Strowman rivalry goes. So we'll just have to wait till next week to see where all these storylines go, or if some of them will end or continue. So now we're going to move on to NXT. NXT started off this week with Kushida versus Champa. Apparently they were fighting backstage and William Regal booked this match. So this match started off quickly. Both men exchanged smacks in the middle of the ring. They also exchanged holds. We even see Kushida begin to mock Champa. Kushida then started to focus on the arm of Champa. Champa began to take control for a little bit and then Kushida took control after Champa tried to hit the Willow's Bell. We see late in the match that Kushida attempts an armbar but Champa somehow finds a way out. Then both men stand to their feet and they exchange blows once again. Late match, Kushida locks in the hoverboard lock on Champa. Kushida looked like he was going to tap out Champa, but we see the Velveteen Dream interfere. He jumps off the top rope, trying to hit Kushida, but hits Tommaso Champa by accident. We see Kushida then attack the Velveteen Dream, and then he runs off. So I wonder, are we gonna see another Kushida versus Tommaso Champa rematch? Because we never officially got an ending to this match, or are we gonna see Velveteen Dream and Kushida again? Depending on how they go with this route, because Velveteen Dream did hit Champa, we could see Champa versus the Dream eventually. I'm not sure what direction they're trying to go in, but there's three, there's two or three possible ways they can go with this. Next, we see an Ember Moon promo. We know Ember Moon just debuted at Takeover 31. Ember then says she's found the way. She's found herself. She's found the new law called Ember's Law. She says no matter how corny that sounds, she's found who she was. And then she says nothing changes at all. She still wants gold around her waist. Then we hear Io Shirai's music play and Io Shirai comes out. Io Shirai was going to say something, but Rhea Ripley then interrupts. And as soon as she was about to say something, which is ironic, we see Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai attack her from behind. Then Ember makes the save. William Regal ends up coming out and saying, you girls want to fight? Well, you have it tonight in a tag team match in the main event. So in the main event, we'll see Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai take on Rhea Ripley and a returning Ember Moon. Now we move on to a backstage segment with Drake Maverick. He says that he's been trying to get Killian Dane to be his tag partner. He says that, you know, he's been texting him all week. He's been sending him themes. He's been sending him, you know, tag finishers or how they should come out. Then we see Killian Dane come on and says, they aren't friends. They never have been and they're not even a 
13. He didn't even receive any of his messages because Drake apparently doesn't have his phone number. Then Drake says, you know, maybe if you gave me your phone number, I could have texted you these things. But then Drake drops a surprise on him and says, well, we have a tag team match tonight and you're going to love our new theme. So we're going to see Killian Dane and Drake Maverick take on a mystery team tonight. Another segment shows Io Shirai being interviewed. She was asked why she didn't help Rhea Ripley and why did Ember have to help her? She said, well, Ripley and Ember Moon are not her problem. That the championship is her problem. So we know Io Shirai likes to fly alone and she made that abruptly clear tonight. Next, we see Adam Cole speak. He says the UE, they have to deal with Ridge Holland and he's a dead man. They're trying to play off that Ridge Holland broke Adam Cole's ribs. I don't know if that's real or not, but if he broke his ribs, then that's pretty crazy. Next, we see Drake Maverick and Killian Dane versus Everrise. Drake Maverick and Killian Dane's theme music plays, and I can't help myself but to laugh. It sounds like a kid nursery rhyme, and it's hilarious. Dane even didn't even want to go out to that. He tells them to cut the music because it was just so terrible. We've seen Drake Maverick start this match off. We've seen Dane even tease Drake with a tag, which distracted Maverick, and Everrise took advantage. They attack Dane, which makes him mad. He goes in the ring at one of the members who insult him, and then he drags Maverick by the hair to the corner for the tag. Then Killian Dane begins to dominate. When Dane sets up for his finishing move, Drake blind tags him, and you can see that Killian Dane is furious with Drake Maverick. Then Drake Maverick gets pushed into Killian Dane and rolled up, but Dane breaks the pin with the flying knee. Then he power bombs Drake Maverick onto the opponent for the win. Drake then celebrates at the end, but Killian Dane ends up punching him in the face once again. So we've seen Killian Dane not take Drake Maverick's antics, and every time he does something, he punches him in the face. But this time we've seen Killian Dane walk away, but then have second thoughts. So he goes back to the ring and carries Drake Maverick to the back. So is it possible we can see these two as a real tag team now? Maybe. I hope they change that theme song though. If not, if they keep it, it's pretty funny, but it just doesn't fit Dane's character. We've seen a Tony Storm video package after the match. She says this is a Tony Storm you've never seen before. She says she was on top of the world before all this happened. She was in the Mae Young Classic. She beat Io Shirai at uh, Evolution. She was the UK Women's Champion. She had it all going for her. And now she's going to get back to where she was. We've seen another video package of Gargano and Candice LeRae. They were walking their dogs, apparently. They say they deserved a rematch. They just need a plan. So when they go inside the garage, they see a TV. And we all know that Tegan Knox destroyed Johnny Gargano's last TV. And he was so hurt over it. So they look at a TV and then it's a note on it that says from India Hartwell. And we all know India Hartwell has been on NXT a while. She's been um, wrestling for, for a couple couple months in NXT. She's even fought Tegan Knox, which is why I guess she's involved in this storyline now. We move on to the next match, which was Leon Ruff versus Austin Theory. Ruff showcased his skills early. You know, he got the edge over Austin Theory. But then there was one point where he slipped on the rope. I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but I guess Theory knew, you know, just to keep it going. He ends up taking advantage and hitting the ATL for the win. So it was a pretty quick match. And I was like, okay, I guess they're trying to push Theory and, you know, make him seem more than what they've been showing him. Then Theory says, Adam Cole caught him ice cold last week. He says he's the future of NXT and there's nothing anyone can do about it. He'll take on anyone. Then a returning Dexter Loomis comes out and we have an impromptu match between Dexter Loomis and Austin Theory. Loomis started off with the vicious right hand and he was in control the whole match, even through picture and picture until Austin Theory sent him into the steel steps. Uh, Mid-match, both men battled for control 
control, but Loomis ended up getting the upper hand, hitting a spine buster, then submitting Austin Theory to that Anaconda Vice. So we see Dexter Loomis win, but after the match, we seen Cameron Grimes hit a cave-in while Dexter Loomis was sitting on the ground. And he says to Loomis, next time I ask you a question, you better answer. So we know last week Cameron Grimes had taken that loss to Ridge Holland. And then, you know, he was walking around the back. He was like, where's Regal? And then he ran to Dexter Loomis, who didn't answer him. So I guess he's still mad that Dexter Loomis did not answer his question. So there's a potential rivalry going on there. After that, we see an O'Reilly and Balor. They speak on their match. We learn that Balor has a broken jaw in two places. So when Balor was bleeding from the mouth at TakeOver, it was because of that broken jaw. But both of these men in this promo just praise each other. They say it was a good match. It was one of their hard-fought matches in their careers. And they just give their hats off to each other. And it's good that they're showing great sportsmanship. After that, there was another backstage segment with Damian Priest. He was asked who's next for his title. He said there's a lot of guys. It doesn't matter who he brings. He would always live in infamy. So we talked about this before. There should be a long line for that title. And, you know, Bronson Reed should be next. That's my guy who should be next. I feel like he deserves it. He's shown his worth. He was in that ladder match. He was in the Eliminator Gauntlet. I feel like he's proved his worth and he deserves his title shot. Next, we've seen Ridge Holland versus Danny Burke. Danny Burke attacked Holland quickly, but Holland stops the attack every time Danny mounted some offense. We've seen Danny, like, he kept going. He kept fighting, but Ridge Holland was just too much for him. We've seen Holland then pick up the win. After the match, Ridge Holland kicked Danny Burke in the head and Danny didn't like that at all. So he stands up and he smacks Ridge Holland who then headbutts him and then brings him to the corner to do the same thing again. Oni Lorcan then comes out to make the save and Ridge Holland, he's already left the ring. But when you think he's leaving, he comes back and he attacks Oni Lorcan too. Oni Lorcan then gets up and dives on Holland who gets up immediately to attack him again. So there's no putting this guy down. They're trying to portray Ridge Holland as this big strong guy and nothing can keep him down. So we see Ridge Holland about to leave and then Oni Lorcan does a dive on him. Ridge Holland then catches him but the way he caught him you can see his ankle instantly break and I was just like damn this guy was about to get a push. This guy was in the UE storyline and things were about to go good for him and this happened. It sucks that an injury had to happen at this time and and I just don't know what to say about it because it's unfortunate. I don't know what direction they were going to go in now. Who knows how long he's going to be gone. Now they're going to have to figure out another storyline for the UE. It's a lot that happens when a superstar gets injured. They have to change the whole thing. But, you know, I wish a speedy recovery for Ridge Holland because that was pretty gruesome. I still don't understand how it happened. I don't know how his foot got under him like that, but it did. So, speedy recovery to Ridge Holland. Next, they cut to another segment where Johnny Gargano is watching a USB. Apparently, Hartwell left in the TV for them. And then in that USB, it shows Hartwell saving Candice LeRae in the Battle Royale. I don't remember seeing her at all in the Battle Royale, if you want me to be honest with you. I don't remember her or noticed her saving Candice LeRae at all. But apparently that's going to play a role in the storyline. And Candice LeRae then says, I like her. And Johnny says, you know what? I've been said that I like this girl. So now we're probably going to see Hartwell align with the Garganos. And that's going to be their plan. Next, there was a Thatcher Thatch Camp segment. Timothy Thatcher says, you know, he he experienced that loss, but he's going to get back and no one's going to beat him again. And we all know that's probably a lie. Someone's probably going to beat him. Thatcher does have what it takes to be a champion, just not yet. Uh, When they came back from commercial break, they showed Ridge Holland getting wheeled off on a stretcher and then he gives a thumbs up. So I guess, you know, he knows he's okay, but you know, he's going to take some time to heal. After that, we've seen Shotzi Blackheart versus 
Ziya Lee. Now, before I talk about this match, I kept hearing Beth Phoenix on commentary, and I looked over and I noticed she wasn't sitting at the desk. And then I learned that she does all her commentary from home. So what's the point of having her on the commentary team at the moment if she's not really there? Because sometimes that does mess up. It happens where she could probably call a spot before it even happens. I I've seen it done before. It's happening in uh, New Japan right now with Rocky Romero. There were some times where he was calling stuff and it wasn't even happening yet. So there's there could be potential mix-ups in there. I heard it even happened at TakeOver 31, Wade Barrett and Beth Phoenix wasn't there. So they had to do their voiceovers from home. So I'm not sure if that's what they're going to keep doing or if they're going to have Beth Phoenix eventually come in. So back to the match. We see Shotzi Blackheart start with a quick start and Zia Lee fall back. We know Zia Lee has been struggling a little bit. She's been losing to Caden Carter and not showing sportsmanship. We see a change happening in Zia Lee. We end up seeing Shotzi Blackheart win the match via Senton and then we see Boa come out and we all know Boa who was the top prospect in China who was signed I think like two years ago. He gives Zia Lee a letter and then they head to the back together. So are we gonna see Boa as Zia Lee's manager? Will he help her over that slump? Will he help her you know get some victories and maybe a potential championship match against Io Sarai? It's interesting to see how this pair up is gonna work with Boa being the manager because I've never seen really Boa be a manager. I've only seen him wrestle so I don't know what role he's going to take. Next, we move on to the main event. It is Ember Moon and Rhea Ripley versus Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. We see a new theme for Ember Moon and a new attire for her. Ember Moon hasn't wrestled since 2018 takeover of New Orleans. Uh, Wade Barrett pointed out she's been gone for 14 months. I don't remember her being gone for that long, but she was. Ember Moon, she was in control to start the match, but then we see Raquel Gonzalez make a blind tag on an already beaten Dakota Kai to take advantage of the match. Ember Moon looked great in this match. She looks like she didn't miss a beat. She doesn't have that ring rust that some superstars usually come back with. So that's good to see that she's still in the same flow she was before she got injured. Both teams then went back and forth. Also, they had so many near falls, I couldn't even keep count. Ripley then saves Ember from Raquel, but then Dakota gets rid of Rhea Ripley, who then takes a power bomb by Ember Moon. And it was kind of a botched power bomb. It wasn't supposed to go like that, but it did. And then we see Ember Moon go to the top and hit her signature eclipse on Dakota Kai. So we see Ember Moon and Rhea Ripley pick up the win. Now, I don't know what happens from here with Ember Moon. Is her and Rhea Ripley going to fight to see who's the number one contender? I Like I said, I still think it should be Shotzi Blackheart. I don't think that Ember Moon should be cutting in line in front of all these women who have proven themselves to be championship material. And I really hope that they give it to Shotzi Blackheart eventually. So NXT for me was okay. Uh, it just it sucks that now they have to go with a different route on the UE storyline because of Rich Holland's injury. Uh, the Gargano way and stuff like that, I don't know if that's going to last too long because the draft is coming up on Friday. They might both get drafted. And if they keep them both on there, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Like I said, Johnny Gargano has done a lot for NXT and I don't think he has anything else to prove in here. But, you know, it it's yet to be seen. Something else I'm looking forward to on NXT is Damian Priest's challenger. We got to figure out who's next and that's a big thing for him also Kushida Champa and Velveteen Dream where does that storyline head we have to see where that goes like I said there's many possible ways to do that you either fight Dream and Champa or Champa Kushida and Dream in a triple threat there's a lot they could do with that so hopefully they'll mess that up because these are three main event guys and it's good to see that all three of them are getting the shine at the same time now we're gonna move on to NXT UK NXT this week started off with Zaya Brookside and Danny Luna versus 
versus Emil and Neon Samuels. This match was a quick start. Danny Luna, who's debuting now on NXT UK, she looks really good and I feel like she has a really bright future in the UK. We've seen a miscommunication this match between Emil and Nia Samuels. Apparently, Nina Samuels wasn't tagging in Emil. Emil then hits a blind tag on Nina and she didn't even notice that she wasn't the legal person. So I believe she went for a pin and the referee's like, no, 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 you're not legal. And she's like, how? And so I'm assuming she didn't feel the blind tag by Emil. Emil then takes control, but Zaya Brookside ends up flipping the script. We see Emil then try to make a tag to Nina who's still upset and she just drops off the apron and walks away. She leaves Emil alone. I, I thought Emil was going to lose right here, but she ends up kicking out of the move. But her fight only lasted for so long before Zaya Brookside and Danny Lee did a tag team finisher on her and she ended up taking the loss. So we've seen Zaya Brookside and Danny Lee pick up the win. Next, there was a backstage segment with Ilya Dragunov. He's walking around. He's looking for Sid Scala, the assistant to the general manager. He ends up finding him who's talking to Pete Dunne. He asks for a match next week against Walter and Alexander Wolf. And then Scala says, well, who's your partner going to be if I'm going to book this match? And he points his finger right at Pete Dunne's face and he's like, him. And Pete Dunne's like, eh, okay, I'll do it. So next week, we're going to see Pete Dunne and Ilya Dragunov versus Walter and Alexander Wolf in a tag team match. And I'm really excited for that. I called that match last week when I seen that little segment they had where Ilya Dragunov saved Pete Dunne. Next, we've seen Jack Stars versus Saxon Huxley. Match started off with Jack trying to dodge everything Huxley threw at him. Huxley said it. He said him fighting Walter, now he realized how he has to become. And you can see that Huxley's more aggressive. He was in control the whole match. Jack Star only had control for like a second before Huxley shut it down. It was pretty much a squash match. Huxley ended up picking up the win. Next, they showed a Gallus video package. Gallus talked about their start and where they came from. They came from ICW and how big Wolfgame was on the independent scene. They also said that Gallus will stay on top. They're not going to lose those tag team championships because Gallus is one of the best tag teams on UK. So I don't know who can be next for their tag team championship. There's a lot of guys on their tag division. There's Imperium. There's Primate, Wild Boar. There's those two guys who apparently are good looking. I forgot their tag name. Um, you know, they got they got Mustache Mountain and Trent Seven and uh, Tyler Bate. You have a lot of good tag teams on there, including Imperium. Now we move on to the continuation of the Heritage Cup. We're still in the first round. So we see Flash Morgan Webster versus A-Kid. In round one, both men were just feeling each other out. It was a slow technical start for both men. It was just going to hold for hold. And then there was no pin there. In the second round, we've seen both men speed it up mid-round with reversals and pin sequences. And in one of those pin sequences, Flash Morgan picks up the first win. So now the pressure's on for A-Kid. In round three, Flash Morgan tried to keep the match at his pace. He tried to move. He tried to hold A-Kid as much as possible so he wasn't able to get a pin. So that's smart strategy by Flash Morgan Webster. In the fourth round, we see Flash Morgan start with a flying knee but gets a near fall on A-Kid. I thought he was going to pick up his second win and win right there, but that wasn't the case. We see Morgan then go up top, but A-Kid rushes to the top to hit a Spanish fly. Then he hits his finisher to pick up his fall. So it's 1-1 tied up going into the fifth round. The fifth round started off with A-Kid and Flash Morgan Webster exchanging slaps and going move for move. This was a quicker pace round, which is why I liked it, because like I said, these two are hybrids. These two are high flyers, so they can move really fast. We see A-Kid end up putting a submission on Flash Morgan Webster. There was legit 10 seconds left. If Flash Morgan held on for 10 more seconds, he would have moved on to the next round without a worries. But Flash Morgan Webster ended up tapping out with five seconds left. So we see A-Kid move on to face no 
Noam Dar in the second round. And for those of you who've been listening, know that A-Kid is my pick to win this. If he doesn't win this, then I don't know who's going to win it. Maybe Trent Seven. But A-Kid's my pick. After that, we see an announcement that in three weeks, Walter will face Ilya Dragunov for the UK Championship. Walter states that Ilya Dragunov trained under him and he made him. Ilya Dragunov agrees. He said, Walter, you did make me, but I'm going to end you. And there's a lot of hype between these two men and there's a lot of hype in this fight. We've seen these men fight before. If you haven't watched Progress Wrestling, you should watch it because it's a fantastic show. So we know that these two men can go. I don't think Ilya Dragunov has beaten him, but this match has a lot of hype behind it. I'm hyped for it because I'm a huge fan of Ilya Dragunov and Walter. And I hope Ilya Dragunov takes that UK championship. I hope that now it's his time to shine. After that, we pan to a backstage segment. We see Mark Andrews getting interviewed and then we hear Primate telling Mark Andrews that he has to come with him. Flash Morgan has been attacked. So Andrews then follows him and he sees Flash Morgan on the floor. But then you look at Primate and Wild Boar and they look so angry. And I'm like, is it them who attacked Flash Morgan Webster? Because it would be pretty obvious if they did. But I think Mark Andrews is oblivious to the fact that they might have attacked uh, Flash Morgan Webster. So potentially we will see Flash Morgan and Mark Andrews versus Primate and Wild Boar. Next, we move on to the main segment of the night, which was Kaylee Ray's State of the Union. Kaylee Ray says the NXT universe doubted her. They thought that she wasn't going to retain. They thought that Piper Nevins was going to finally dethrone her, but she didn't. Then as Kylie Ray is talking, we see the whole women's division come out. We even see Nina Samuels and Amelia come out. We know they had the match earlier and they were arguing about what happened in that match. We then see Piper Nevins come out who shoves Amelia and Samuels who then attacks her. So Kaylee Ray is then focused on the women who are attacking Piper Nevins. Then we see Valkyrie attack Kaylee Ray from behind. Then all the women come in the ring to start attacking Kaylee Ray. But throughout the miscommunication, someone hits someone by accident and then they all start fighting. So there's a big brawl between all the women in that ring. Then we see Kaylee Ray try to run away, but Zaya Brookside then does a hurricanrana. She gets up and knocks down Zaya Brookside and then runs off. So we see Kaylee Ray try to make her exit from all the chaos. She gets to the top of the ramp and then she turns around to see Ginny and she taps Ginny like, yeah, yeah, we're cool. And then Ginny gives her a forearm smash and they start brawling around the arena. So all these women are fighting. All these women are trying to prove that they deserve a shot at the NXT UK Women's Championship. And they have a phenomenal females roster. So I believe most of those women deserve it. I'm still not a big fan of Ginny yet. Maybe she'll grow on me eventually. We see then Valkyrie dive on all the women. And we see Kaylee Ray was the last woman standing. So all the women are on the floor down because of Valkyrie. They're looking towards the ramp and they see Kaylee Ray walking away. And she has the title facing them. So it was kind of foreshadowing like, yeah, I'm the champion. You guys could watch me walk away. So they're really trying to hype up this women's roster. And I'm there for it. I, I, I'm really liking the direction they're going with this women's division. So that ends NXT UK. I hope to see, uh, you know, what happens in this Heritage Cup tournament. I'm really excited for next week's showing of Ilya Dragunov and Pete Dunne versus uh, Imperium, basically. I think that's going to be a really exciting match. And I'm excited to see the next round of the tournament. I believe it's going to be Joseph Connors versus Dave Mastiff. I think that should be a pretty exciting match. Now we're going to move on to AEW Dark. This week's AEW Dark kicked off with Kenzie Page versus Brandy Rhodes. This match was all Brandy Rhodes. I feel like Kenzie Page, she had a little bit of move, but this match was just purposely just to build up Brandy Rhodes. We've seen Brandy Rhodes then pick up the win. After the match, we've seen Anna Jay come from behind 
to attack Brandy Rhodes. Then we see Red Velvet make the save. We know that last week Brandy Rhodes helped out Red Velvet when Anna Jay attacked her when she pretended to try to help out after that match with Tay Conti. So I think from here on out now we're going to see a Red Velvet Brandy Rhodes alliance. The next match on AEW Dark was Ray Rosa and Eric Watts versus the Jurassic Express. We've seen both Eric Watts and Luchasaurus. They were evenly matched. Eric Watts was impressive in this match. You know, for a big man, he can hold his own and I think I like that. I don't really want there to be an overwhelming factor of big men in AEW because WWE already suffers from that. I feel like AEW should like keep who they have right now with the super heavyweights and just leave it at that. But this match was back and forth. There was a ton of near falls by Rosa and Watts. There was times where I thought they were going to win this match, but we ended up seeing Jurassic Express hit the Jurassic Express to pick up the win. Now, I don't know if anyone has noticed, but the Jurassic Express hasn't been in the tag team rankings for a while now. And I feel like they should have been in the rankings. I feel like they should have been tag champions by now. I know they gave it to FTR because, you know, they were brand new and I guess that was in their contract. I feel like Jurassic Express is one of those teams who truly deserve it along with best friends and they haven't held those tag team titles yet and we've been a year with AEW. So hopefully eventually we see these two teams, mainly Jurassic Express, hold those tag team championships because they truly deserve it. After that, we've seen Anthony Bowens and Lee Johnson versus Chaos Project. Lee Johnson had a quick start in this match. We know he had that phenomenal match a couple weeks ago with Ben Carter. So I don't really like the fact that they're putting him in tag team matches. I feel like they seen his potential as a singles wrestler. So I felt like they should have put up against people more in his caliber. He would have gave you more good matches, but they put him in this tag team match. So we've seen Lee Johnson and Anthony Bowens in control to start off the match. Serpentico overshoots a sunset flip in this match. It was on Anthony Bowens. You can see Serpentico trying to crawl back so at least he could try to go for the pin. We've seen Lee Johnson and Bowens in control just for a bit before uh, Luther gets a hot tag who then takes control of the match. Then the commentary team kept making fun of Luther's pants because he had a handprint on his butt and they were like, how did it get there? And Taz was like, oh, maybe he you know, he cuts a lot of meat with Butcher and the Blade. He probably did it himself. And then Ricky Starks points out, well, if he was touching his own butt, it would be upside down, but it's front side up. And <laughs> Taz was just like, oh, you're correcting me now, Ricky? We're going to talk about that later. So I thought that was a pretty funny uh, segment. But we've seen Chaos Project pick up the win. We know that Chaos Project has a big match against Jake Hager and Chris Jericho at the 30th anniversary of Chris Jericho uh, coming up on AW Dynamite. The next match we've seen Will Hobbs versus Ryzen. This match was a squash match. Ryzen had a little bit of offense. I think he did like two things that really just pissed off Will Hobbs. But Will Hobbs ended up taking the win. We know that Will Hobbs is going to be fighting for the FTW Championship on AEW Dynamite against Brian Cage. So I pretty much look forward to that match. Two super heavyweights who have a lot of hype behind them right now. Brian Cage always had hype behind him. But Will Hobbs is now coming up in AEW. So it's going to be an interesting match to watch. And I wonder who's going to come out of that match to Victor. After that, we've seen John Silver versus QT Marshall. It was back and forth from the start. No one was able to take control. Then we've seen Evil Uno get involved. Then Dustin Rhodes came out to help his friend QT Marshall and attack Evil Uno. They ended up fighting to the back. The rest of the Dark Order tries to come out to attack QT, but he fends them off. But Silver, being smart, takes advantage and hits the Blue Thunder Bomb to pick up the win. So we see John Silver pick up his first win on AW Dark. And apparently, John Silver is becoming the favorite of Mr. Brody Lee. He allowed him not to wear a mask this match. It was said by the commentators that he helped Brody Lee so much in his match against Orange Cassidy that he granted him the wish to not wear a mask anymore. The next match was Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. versus 
Cesar Bonani and David Ali. Now, we've seen really good work coming out of Brian Pillman and Griff Garrison. They're becoming a little more efficient as a tag team, and I like that about them. They're young, they're brash, they're ready to do whatever it takes to get to the top. We also seen Cesar Bonani. He had a lot of good control in this match. I feel like he has a bright future in AEW, but like I talked about, we don't want to overstep AEW with too many super heavyweights or too many big guys. But this was a pretty decent tag team match. Uh, I guess David Ali does have some work to do. I feel like he can be something. He just has to work a little more hard towards it. But we've seen Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. get their first win on AEW Dark. So that's a good start for them. Now they're actually winning matches. Before they were losing matches. So I guess AEW sees the potential that most of us see if you are a fan of Brian Pillman and Griff Garrison. So it's interesting to see where they go from here. Will they end up being on the main the main card, AEW? Will they actually win a match on Dynamite? It's yet to see. They still have a lot to go through, but eventually I'm sure we'll see them on Dynamite. The next match on AEW Dark was Big Swole versus Skylar Moore. Now, I'm gonna be 100% honest. I didn't like this match at all. Like, there was times where I was just like, I hope this match ends already. No disrespect, but Big Swole hasn't given me a match that I'm like, wow, Big Swole is fantastic. Like, I didn't like the feud with Britt Baker. Like, she just hasn't given me enough to be like, okay, this woman deserves to be champion at this moment. I truly don't feel like that. I know she's number two in the rankings or either number one. I'm not really sure, but I just don't think that she gives me that wow factor. And this match to me was just really boring. And I feel like Big Swole needs to have someone to give her a match where maybe I can say, you know what? My mind has changed. Big Swole is a lot better than I thought. And maybe then I'll have more appreciative towards her matches. But for right now, her matches really don't give me a wow factor. They don't say, hey, come watch this match. And that's not to take away the credit of her wrestling ability. She's a good wrestler. Like I said, her matches just don't wow me. I think maybe if she finds someone else, then she'll probably put on a good match. But we've seen her end up picking up the win. Next, we see Michael Nakazawa versus Matt Seidel. Now, we know we had that storyline where Michael Nakazawa apparently put baby oil on the, the turnbuckle so that way Matt Seidel would fall when he goes for a shooting star press. We see Nakazawa at the beginning of the match pour baby oil on that turnbuckle again before the match even starts. So it's good to see that they're playing off that storyline, off that botch angle by Matt Seidel. Matt Seidel had a really quick start in this match. He even had the match won early, but as he went up for a shooting star press, he noticed that it had baby oil on it and he cleans it off. But then Nakazawa squirts him with the baby oil to take control for a bit. We see Nakazawa then take off his underwear and shove it in Matt Seidel's face. And then Matt Seidel ends up putting a submission on him and tapping him out. So we see Matt Seidel not use his shooting star press yet. I wonder, are they saving it for the main roster? Are they going to continue with this angle that maybe he's afraid because there might be oil on the turnbuckle? I'm not sure, but I like the direction they're going in. Like I said, sometimes AEW has really, really great storylines and you can catch those storylines on Mondays on being the elite because that's where their stories pretty much come from. After that, we've seen Mbadu versus Eddie Kingston. Now, you know how every week Ricky Starks and Taz say, you know, what color is on his pants? Like, what does that represent? You know, it was supposed to represent the Nigerian flag colors. Now we see Umbadu wearing Nigeria actually on his trunks. So I think that's pretty funny. And I think that they really like went the distance to go along with that joke. We've seen Umbadu have a second of offense before receiving a spinning back fist. Then Eddie Kingston breaks his own pin to lock in the Kimura lock to tap out Umbadu. So we've seen Umbadu lose within 30 seconds of the match to a Kimura lock by Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston after the match tells us about the Kimura lock. He says it's dangerous. He says he's taking his time to learn it. He also says that he'll make Mox quit. Says that Mox is supposed to take 
take them to the promised land, but he didn't. He says when he fights Mox again, he will tap him out and he's going to hurt Mox. So now Eddie Kingston, you know, since he got submitted, not technically because he didn't tap, he passed out. We see that now he's learning a new submission move. So that way when he does fight Mox, he can counter Mox's bulldog choke with the Kimura lock. After that, we've seen Sean Dean versus Angelico. Now, I want to take a second to appreciate Angelico. I think Angelico is probably one of the most underrated wrestlers there are. I feel like every time I watch an Angelico match, I feel like he can be compared to a Zack Sabre Jr. I feel like him and Zack Sabre Jr. are exactly identical. Both of these men are technical. They're submission specialists. They can do it all. And I even looked up a match to see if there was a Zack Sabre Jr. versus Angelico match, but I don't think there has been. But I feel like one day, I feel like these two should fight to see who's the best technical wrestler or submission specialist because these two could pull on a hell of a technical match. We know that Zack Sabre Jr. put on a really good technical match with Josh Grisham in ROH. So I feel like if we have one day Angelico versus Zack Sabre Jr., it would be a match to see. That just brings me to the point that I feel like Angelico could be a top singles competitor in AEW and I feel like they should just keep him away from Jack Evans. Not saying that Jack Evans and him are a bad mix, but I feel like he deserves a singles run. But we've seen Angelico in control this whole match. He had so many submissions. He had so many counters to everything Sean Dean threw. Sean Dean had like a second of offense, but ended up losing that control. We see Angelico then tap out Sean Dean. I'm excited to see more of Angelico. I know they have a match with FTR at their little 20 minute brush of greatness on Dynamite coming up. So it's interesting to see what happens. You know, Angelico has been on his singles run because of Jack Evans. He, I think he was injured for a while, but now we're going to see them back as a tag team. So we'll see where that goes. Hopefully one day they have Angelico do a singles run because I feel like he could be a great champion. He could be a great TNT champion. He also one day could be a great AW world champion. It depends how they build him up. After that, we move on to the main event, which was the Lucha Brothers versus Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss. We've seen Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss attack the Lucha Brothers with stereo suicida dives. Then Penta and Phoenix try it, but Joey Janela and Sonny Kiss end up grabbing Pentagon's leg and Ray Phoenix ends up making the dive but hits everybody including his brother now we know that him and his brother has had some beef in the past and we had Eddie Kingston play the mediator and try to keep them together saying that they're family but they're they're playing on that now I don't know I don't think they'll ever break them up I feel like they'll probably have them go on a singles run eventually but I don't feel like they're gonna break them up at this moment they'll probably put the tag team championships on them first and then they'll probably lose it eventually I hope they one day soon have those tag team championships I feel like they truly deserve it now I know I say that a lot but AEW has so many fantastic tag teams that one day all of those guys should hold it there shouldn't be a team who doesn't hold those tag team titles in this match we've seen both teams go back and forth they try to fight for control we've seen Sonny Kiss then hit a 450 on Pentagon but Ray Phoenix comes out of nowhere to break it up with a flying dropkick Janela then tries to throw out Ray Phoenix but Ray Phoenix rebounds and hits a spinning roundhouse kick Sonny Kiss and Pentagon end up getting back to their feet and exchanging blows we see all men are now down Sonny Kiss then makes a tag to Joey Janela who gets back on the apron as soon as Joey Janela comes back in Ray Phoenix hits his rolling cutter then we see Sonny Kiss try to jump over Joey Janela but ends up eating a super kick by Pentagon Jr. with Sonny Kiss out of the equation Ray Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. put their tag finisher on Joey Janela to pick up the win I think that was a really good main event I like Dark's main events sometimes they really have some good matches and it's interesting to watch so if you don't watch dark i feel like you should start watching dark because it does get really good sometimes sometimes it's just squash matches but sometimes they actually 
give you matches to showcase that your team or favorite superstar so with that dark is now finished now we move on to aw dynamite the 30th anniversary for chris jericho and i want to start off by saying congrats jericho on 30 years in this business you've done a lot for the wrestling world you've done a lot in your career i've been watching you for a long time so it, it means a lot to see that you're still wrestling for three whole decades and i can't say how much i appreciate what you've done for this business so the show opens up with jericho everyone's showing his appreciation there's a lot of videos we've seen appreciations by shaquille o'neal famous rock stars we even seen uh, appreciation by hiroshi tanahashi we know hiroshi tanahashi and jericho fought each other in new japan multiple times and it was really interesting to see someone from new japan show jericho some appreciation on aw dynamite the first match was will haas versus brian cage it was a quick start both men begin to exchange blows and shoulder tackles but brian gets the best of hobbs who then immediately gets up to clothesline cage now both of these men were trying their best both men even countered each other's suplexes they i think tried to go for suplexes about two or three times on each other hobbs gets a near fall early he takes control for a bit until brian cage counters it and takes control hobbs then tried to regain the control but he couldn't in this match it was a different show of of style you know we've seen hobbs who's all power but cage who is powerful and athletic and i think that played a big part in this match both men then hit big moves will hob gets up first to take control for a bit but then brian cage ends up coming back he hits like a pump handle face buster to get a near fall cage then lifts up will hobbs he hits him with a german suplex but you see will hobbs immediately get back up he then germans brian cage who does the same thing will hobbs just did and both men exchange clotheslines to knock each other down they both then get up at the same time they exchange blows brian cage does his little sequences he does his rolling savat with his head kick and then will hobbs ends up catching brian cage in a spine buster for a near fall brian cage kicks out will hobbs is just standing there frustrated like i don't know what else to do to put this guy down so we see will hobbs go to the top rope we never see will hobbs leaves his feet so once he goes to the top rope he goes for a frog splash but brian cage ends up moving and then he hits him with the jiro claw to pick up the win to retain the ftw championship so i think this was a really good match between two super heavyweights i think it was a great way to kick off the show both men gave it all they had and it felt like a pay-per-view kind of match to an extent so i i like the fact that they start the show off with this match the next match we've seen was ftr versus th2 the 20 minute brush of greatness for the aw world tag team championship it was a quick start and there was a quick pin by jack and angelico ftr then tries to leave the ring with the titles but angelico ends up diving on ftr who then catches him we see jack evans then see that his partner gets caught and dives on all of them but jack he landed awkwardly he looked at if he hurt his leg ftr then sees that and begins to target that leg ftr then took control during the picture in picture we also seen that the bucks were watching we we know that the bucks have their little gripe with ftr and they feel like they were robbed because of hangman adam page and they feel like they should be tag team champions so it's interesting to see how that's going to play out eventually between the bucks and ftr we've seen jack evans and angelico then regain control we see jack evans go to the top but dax tries to give him a back body drop from the top rope after he goes up there jack then fights him off with elbows we see dax then drop to the mat jack goes for a phoenix splash but ends up not getting enough air because of his bad leg i don't know if it was a botch or the bad 
bad leg, but I, I think it was a botch. He then ends up hitting Dax in the face, and I guess he realized that he didn't really hit him at all, you know, with the Phoenix Splash, so he ends up going to the middle rope and doing a moonsault. Then he goes for a pin. We end up seeing Cash break up the pin, and Helico then comes in the match to throw out Cash. He ends up trying to go for an outside dive, but Cash ends up moving. We see Angelico still land on his feet, then Cash ends up picking him up and slamming him face first onto the apron. We see Cash then try to get back on the apron to help out Dax, but Jack Evans ends up kicking him off. Him and Dax end up fighting for control for a bit. They even had a bunch of near falls, but we see Dax then hit a tiger driver. He brings Jack Evans to the top of the rope. He tags in Cash to hit a superplex, and Cash from the other side hits a big body splash. They end up picking up the win to retain their AW World Tag Team Championships. As soon as FTR win, they pan to the back where we see the Young Bucks upset that they won, and then they get upset because apparently they were being recorded secretly the whole time and they didn't notice. So they end up super kicking the cameraman. Then they pan back to the ring and FTR is like, you know, just upset because they feel like the Young Bucks are picking on everyone else but them. Suddenly we see an image pop up on the big screen and it's FTR in hot dog costumes. And then we hear the best friends music play. They begin to call FTR a bunch of weenies and then they tell them that they're going to take their tag team championships next week on the anniversary show. FTR then tried to attack the best friends but the best friends were ready and they fend off FTR. So now announced for next week will be FTR versus best friends for the world tag team championships. And I think it's going to be a really good match. I still don't think we see best friends take the titles just yet uh, but who knows anything could happen on the anniversary show. After that we see MJF take a moment to appreciate Chris Jericho. He says that you should never meet your heroes but he met his. He tells how the first time he interacted with Chris Jericho, Chris Jericho told him he know one day he's going to be big and he took that. So everyone on the show is showing appreciation for Chris Jericho. He even says that he has a special gift for him and he'll see him in the ring tonight. So it's kind of interesting to see what this special gift is. Next we move on to Cody Rhodes versus Mr. Brody Lee in a dog collar match for the TNT Championship. Now this is probably the one of the most anticipated matches of the night. The match opens up with Cody hitting Silver with the chain. He ends up busting him open. Brody then took control for a bit. Then we see Cody try to mount some offense. He even tries to do a springboard off the top, but Brody ends up pulling him by the chain to drag him off the top. The match then spills to the outside. We see Brody then beat up Cody Rhodes for a little bit on the outside. He ends up showing compassion to John Silver. He tries to give him a chair and says, here, sit here. And as soon as John Silver sits, we see Cody Rhodes fly out of nowhere with a drop kick and just blast him. So Brody Lee ends up, I don't know if he ends up sacrificing him, but he did show him a little bit of compassion. That's more than Brody usually shows. Then the match spills back into the inside because Brody drags Cody back in the ring. We see him take control for a bit until we see Anna Jay come out to aid John Silver. We see Brody then get distracted and say, just take him out of here. Take him out of here. Luckily, Cody wasn't able to take control of the distraction and he ends up showing that he was busted open. Then Brody Lee just grabs the chain and just drags it across his forehead, which is already bleeding. We see him continue to attack that cut. Then he tries to throw Cody into the ropes, but Cody ends up reversing it and sliding under Mr. Brody Lee to use the chain to low blow Brody Lee. So now we see Cody Rose take advantage. He ends up throwing Brody Lee to the outside. Then he hits a suicide dive onto Brody Lee. Now that offense that Cody had only lasted for so long before Brody Lee took advantage. He ends up like ramming him into the guardrail with the chain like three times and then flips him over. Brody then decides to involve a table. He brings Cody up onto the 
the apron so he could slam through the table, but Cody ends up fighting it off. Cody then jumps off the apron. He pulls Mr. Brody Lee by the chain. Brody flies off the apron into a cutter by Cody Rhodes. Then during picture in picture, we see Cody then put Brody Lee through that table via package pal driver. Then the match goes back into the ring. These two are fighting. Brody ends up being busted open. We see the blood pouring out of his head. Then Brody Lee ends up taking control. He hits a power slam on Cody Rhodes. He pins him but gets a near fall. And then when he gets up, he's so angry because he got the near fall at Cody. He flings a chair at Arn Anderson who then gets inside the ring and it looks like they're going to square off. But then we see Alex Reynolds come out and he takes a spine buster from Arn Anderson. And I want to mention that when Arn Anderson gave this spine buster, it looked good. But after he did the spine buster, he just struggled to get to his feet. Then Brody Lee attacks Arn Anderson, which gave Cody the control. Cody ended up taking control for a while. He ends up hitting him with the chain a couple more times. We see Brody then kick Cody's arm because he tried to punch him with that chain. Cody ends up blocking a kick by Brody Lee and hitting him with the crossroads to retain the TNT championship. Now, this was a phenomenal match. I thought this was the best match in a long time. Um, I think that these two men gave it their all and, you know, they played on that story. I didn't think Cody was going to lose in three minutes again. I knew that this match was going to be vicious. This match was going to be brutal. And it was. They used that chain every chance they got. And kudos to both these men for giving us a really good match on AEW Dynamite. Then after the match, we see Cody cut a promo. He says he will defend this championship again. He's fought so hard to get this championship where it is. And he's going to continue to defend it. And then we see Orange Cassidy comes out. And he puts his thumb up. And so does Cody. So now we have Cody Rhodes versus Orange Cassidy at the anniversary show for the TNT Championship. So it's good to see that Orange Cassidy gets another shot at this championship. He gave Brody Lee a run for his money, but he didn't end up taking that championship from him. Will he take it from Cody? I don't know. Cody just got it back, so it's up in the air. Maybe they might give it to Orange Cassidy, or maybe they have Cody Rhodes continue to hold it and have those open challenges he used to have, giving opportunities to other superstars. But that dog collar match was a pay-per-view caliber match, and I really liked it. After they announced three more competitors for that tournament, we have Wardlow, Colt Cabana, and Hangman Adam Page. So we see Hangman Adam Page now is in the tournament with Kenny Omega. So now Adam Page is now going on his singles run. So now I know that they're going to clash in this tournament, and I think that's going to be one of the best matches of the tournament. So look out for that match. After that, we have Big Swole versus Serena Deb. Serena Deb throughout the whole match was in control. She just kept taking advantage of Big Swole. She had the best of her the whole match. We've seen even Serena lose control for a second, but she regained it during picture in picture. But Swole ended up capitalizing, hitting Dirty Dancing to pick up the win. Now, what I said last time about Big Swole, she just doesn't impress me, and you know, she's just not what I look for. But Serena Deb, she can give any any woman a good match, and I think Serena Deb was the star of this match. And I think that Serena Deb down the line should get a championship match against whoever's the champion at the time, even if it is Hokaru Shida. But Serena Deb was the star of this match. Big Swole didn't have like super, super offense in this match. She probably did a couple moves. It's not to take the credit away from Big Swole, but I feel like this was a match that she could have really shined, and I still have not seen that shine. Hopefully there's someone else down the line who can bring out the best in Big Swole, but I've yet to see it. After that match, we got a Moxley video package talking about him defending his world championship against Lance Arch at the anniversary show. He says he won't be able to celebrate the one year because no matter what, there's always somebody who's waiting to step up to take that title from him. And that man could damn well be Archer. He says one doesn't
doesn't simply beat Archer, they have to survive Archer. He even says that his last encounter with Archer in Japan, he barely left with his head on his shoulders. And now Archer has traveled him and chased him around the world to get this title shot. He says that Archer is going to have to unstrap that belt off his dead body. And like Archer says, everybody dies. I thought that was a fantastic promo by Moxley. We know he has the ability to cut those good promos, but I thought that was one of his better ones to date. Now we move on to the main event, Chris Jericho and Jake Hager versus Chaos Project. We see early in the match that Chris Jericho gets the best of Serpentico, which leads to Serpentico tagging in Luther. And now we see Luther and Chris Jericho clash. The whole night they've been talking about their friendship and how long they've known each other and they traveled and they moved up together. So now we get to see them clash. We've seen Luther take control for a bit. And then through picture in picture, we see Jake Hager take control. He ends up beating up Luther. And that only lasted till we got back on the air from commercial. And we see Luther taking control again. He ends up knocking Hager out the ring as well as Jericho. He throws his partner Serpentico over the top rope so they land on Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. Then we see the inner circle crowd around Hager and Jericho. And Luther goes to the top and dives on the inner circle so now all the inner circle members are down he ends up taking Jericho back inside the ring then we see Sammy Guevara ends up distracting Luther as soon as Luther turns around he ends up eating the Judas effect by Chris Jericho and Chris Jericho and Jake Hager end up picking up the win after the match we seen Chris Jericho get a standing ovation by the crowd tonight was about him then we hear MJF music play and he interrupts the celebration of Chris Jericho he comes out he says I have the gift and he shows the gif and it's a clown under a sheet. And Jericho's like, what the heck? Why Why? Why is there a clown here? And then he's like, ah, I got you. And the clown is holding like another gif. And he's like, you think I only got you one gif? I'm the best. I got you two gifts. The, the second gif ended up being a picture of MJF. And when Jericho sees it, he, you can see the look on his face. He ends up smashing that picture on the clown, then hitting the clown with the Judas effect. He gets into MJF's face. They both stare down and they're like, ha. I got you, I got you. And then they say, good night, everybody. And then the credits roll. I've never seen credits roll before, but they had Jericho's name on everything. So basically Jericho did everything tonight. He was even camera for tonight. I don't know when he was doing that. But we see Jericho and MJF teasing an inner circle collaboration. You know, MJF is looking to join a group. And I don't know, he's teasing the inner circle. They're also teasing to kick Sammy out. I don't know if they're going to, but MJF mentions that, you know, he'll get his jacket eventually because he never got him that jacket so I don't know if we're gonna see MJF join the inner circle or is he gonna betray Chris Jericho and they're gonna end up fighting I don't think that'll be a bad match at all I don't mind seeing MJF versus Chris Jericho but the way this storyline is looking it could either go the betrayal route or MJF could join the inner circle it can go either way so AW Dynamite tonight was really good the star this night was the dog collar match I thought that was the best match of the night and I'm excited to see the anniversary show Every championship will be defended. So I'm really excited about that. And that happens, I think, next week, the 14th, I believe. So make sure you look out for that anniversary show because I'm sure it's going to be a heck of a show. Now we're going to move on to our final show, which is SmackDown Live. So this SmackDown is a special one because tonight starts the 2020 draft. So we see Stephanie Mann come out. She announces the first draft pick. We see Raw get Drew McIntyre, which we knew what was going to happen. We see SmackDown get Roman Reigns, which we also knew that was going to happen. Raw 
Raw keeps Asuka. SmackDown gets Seth freaking Rollins. We get the Monday Night Messiah on the blue brand. Raw also gets the Hurt Business. We knew probably that was going to happen. I didn't see them moving because of the storyline of Retribution. So now that Seth Rollins is on Friday Night SmackDown, do we think that the Mysterio family line Seth Rollins feud is over? I'm not sure about that. We also hear from Rollins. He says that the Monday Night Messiah was never about a name. It was about a message. And he says he's sad that he won't see the Mysterio family implode. So I hope that this feud is over. Now we move on to the first match of the night, which is Big E versus Sheamus in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Now this match was a quick start. We've seen Big E hit a signature spear onto Sheamus to get a near fall on the outside. Now I want to mention that this move is super dangerous. Every time I see Big E do this, I get afraid because if he lands wrong, he's going to break his neck. And that's kind of what almost happened tonight. He like overthought it, I guess, and he almost landed on his neck. So I guess he needs to be careful with that move. We see Big E then try to swing a kendo stick, but eats a bro kick by Sheamus. But then Big E kicks out. We know that this match is not going to end that fast. We see Sheamus then tie up Big E with the ropes and then beat him with the kendo stick. After he's done beating him up, he covers Big E to get a near fall. Sheamus then begins to look under the ring for more weapons, but then Big E grabs the roll of tape and tapes Sheamus' feet together and then starts beating him with the kendo stick. We see these two men then fight to the backstage area. We see Sheamus then pour dough and eggs on Big E. I don't know why there was random dough and raw eggs sitting around the back, but there clearly was. We see Sheamus was in control, but then Big E hits him with a broom across the head. Then he starts to beat him up with a trash can, and we see a more aggressive side of E, and I like that. I want to see the the Big E that we've seen in NXT, the one who said five, the one who always had his matches counted to five. We've seen the match then spilled to the parking lot. Sheamus hits Big E with the tire iron to change the tire of the match, then hits a white noise onto Big E on the windshield of the car. He then drags him to the driver's side of the car and bashes him with the door repeatedly. He then tries to throw him in the trunk and slam it on the hand of Big E to break it, but Big E ends up fighting it off. Sheamus attempts to bro kick but misses because Big E dodges. He then ends up kicking off the trunk of the car. Then Big E slams Sheamus onto a windshield and hits the big ending on top of a table off a car to pick up the win. Now this was a fantastic match and I'm glad that they put this match first because both of these men gave it their all and it was a fantastic start to SmackDown. Big E is impressive. I hope he gets a singles title. I think he deserves it. I think he showed it in this match. We see Sheamus as a world champion already so if he gets a title shot eventually I wouldn't be mad at it. But Big E and Sheamus were the stars at this match and they proved that they are worth the championship match eventually. So kudos to those two men. Next we see Jay Uso going down to the ring to confront his cousin Roman Reigns about their match at Hell in a Cell. But before that we see Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods they're back. They say something is missing and they say they're missing their tag team championships. And in this segment we seen like a more serious Big E for a second. He looked more serious but then he went back with the flow because you know he's back to seeing his brothers again. Then we pan back to the ring. Jay Uso asks you know what stipulation are we seeing at Hell in a Cell? What What is it going to be Roman? Roman doesn't answer but Heyman comes up on the big screen. He tells Jay to stop embarrassing himself and says Roman appears when he wants. He also then warns the new superstars from Raw or whatever show they come from. He even shows a warning in the form of Jay Uso getting beat up at Clash of Champions by Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns then appears. He says he tries to help Jay Uso and better his life. He says he wouldn't tell him he was the tribal chief. He says now the stipulations at Hell in a Cell will be a first time ever I quit match inside 
outside of the Hell in a Cell. He also then warns Jey Uso. He says, when you say you quit, there will be consequences. So for the first time ever, we will see a I quit match in a Hell in a Cell. I think that's going to be really brutal. I hope Roman Reigns doesn't destroy Jey Uso like he did at Clash of Champions. And if he does, what happens when Jey Uso says he quits? Will Roman Reigns like try to throw him off the top? I don't know what's going to happen. This storyline has been fantastic so far. So I'm really looking forward to their match at Hell in a Cell. After that, Stephanie comes out to announce more picks. She announces that the New Day will get a SmackDown Tag Team Championship match tonight against Cesaro and Nakamura. So we discover that Raw gets AJ Styles. So AJ Styles is now leaving the blue brand and going on his way to Monday Night Raw. SmackDown will keep Sasha Banks. Raw gets Naomi. SmackDown Live gets a Bianca Belair. So now we hopefully we don't see those terrible segments anymore. And now we could just see her wrestle. And Raw gets Shayna Baszler and Nia Jack. After Stephanie announces the picks, we get a little AJ Styles promo. He says he should be offended that SmackDown didn't pick him first. But now he doesn't have to deal with fake people like Sami Zayn and Jeff Hardy. So now the question is, what's next for AJ Styles on Raw? Will he go after the World Championship? You know, will he fight Drew McIntyre eventually? Or will he go after Bobby Lashley's US title? He's given that US title some prestige before, so if he does it again, I wouldn't be mad at it. Now we move on to the next match tonight, which was Miz and Morrison versus Jeff and Matt Riddle. Now, this match came about because apparently Matt Riddle tweeted to Jeff Hardy saying that, you know, if this is our last night together on the same brand, I want at least to be able to team up with my hero. And that's how this match came about. We see this match had a quick start. We see Jeff and Matt, which was so confusing because they kept saying Jeff and Matt. And I'm like, just can't, can we stop calling him that? Can we just call him Matt Riddle instead of just Matt? Because they were trying to do like a little Hardy Boys reference. They even called the poetry in motion, the broetry in motion, which I I thought was dumb. And everyone knows I'm not a fan of Matt Riddle. So obviously I'm going to be the Matt Riddle hater here. Then we see Miz and Morrison in control when we return from the break. That lasted only for so long. We seen Matt Riddle then get a hot tag. He had a little flurry. He had control of the match. We see the Miz then get distracted by Jeff Hardy, who just hit John Morrison with a twist of fate. When the Miz turns around, he ends up eating a knee by Matt Riddle. And Matt Riddle and Jeff Hardy pick up the win. After the match, we seen a huge return. We seen Lars Sullivan return. Lars Sullivan goes to the ring. He destroys Matt Riddle and Jeff. He even destroys The Miz because John Morrison refused to help him. I mean, he tried to help him, but when he seen that Lars Sullivan grabbed The Miz, he just ran off. So we see Lars Sullivan return. We know he was gone for a while with an injury or he was also going through like some kind of mental stuff. So it's good to see that he's back and healthy. It's going to be interesting to see where he lands in, you know, either Raw or SmackDown because apparently they're putting him in Raw's like lottery section. So it's going to be interesting to see how they use Lars Sullivan on his return. After that, Stephanie continues the draft by saying Raw receives Ricochet. I don't think that was the good choice. I think Ricochet should have went to SmackDown. Have a new start. Stay away from Apollo Crews and just, just get a new beginning. He needs it. Then SmackDown gets Jay Uso. We all seen that coming. Raw gets Mandy Rhodes. I don't know why they felt the need to announce that. We already know Mandy Rhodes was on Raw. They didn't need to announce that. SmackDown gets Reign Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. And let me tell you, when I heard this, I legit screamed because I was so angry. They really took this crappy storyline from Raw to give this crappy storyline to SmackDown. They should have just killed this storyline. They shouldn't be continuing this storyline on another brand. So now that SmackDown's two hours, we got to deal with this Mysterio family crap for a whole two hours. And I think Rollins should be upset too because I don't want Rollins to continue the feud with these people anymore. It's boring. It's not entertaining. Get rid of 
of it. So it, it, it's just like, it, it's upsetting. And for those of you who are upset with me, I know you are because we're tired of this storyline as well. Next, we've seen Sasha Banks versus Bailey for the SmackDown Women's Championship. We see Sasha Banks explode early on Bailey. She's attacking her. She's not letting her breathe. We then see Bailey try to escape, but Sasha ends up bringing her back into the ring to lock on the bank statement. Bailey then reverses it into a pin, and then both women start to exchange pins. Then we see Bailey go to the outside, and then she hits Sasha Banks with a chair to get disqualified. Now, I don't understand why do this, why waste this match, why bring Sasha Banks back and have this title match ready for just to end in disqualification. I think this is terrible storytelling. I just don't like it. I just don't feel like she should have came back so fast. Got a women's title shot on SmackDown and then have Bailey get disqualified on purpose. So that way they can set up a match for Hell in a Cell. But after the match, we see Bailey then try to do the same thing she did to Sasha before, but Sasha ends up countering it and attacking Bailey with the chair. So we see Sasha Banks put that chair around Bailey's neck, and when she's about to jump, Bailey ends up getting the chair off of her neck, and we see Bailey run off. Like I said, this was a waste of a match. This was a waste of a title match between Bailey and Sasha. If you wanted to build it up, you could have built it up some other way. You didn't have to give us a match. You could have done something else, but they didn't. After this match, we see a little backstage segment. We see Kevin Owens getting ready for his match against The Fiend. We see Alexa Bliss then walk up to him and say, let him in. And then it cuts to commercial break. So now my question is, will we see Alexa Bliss interfere in this Kevin Owens match tonight? I'm not sure. I don't think they'll show her in the match. Like, I don't think she'll play a role because I believe The Fiend can handle it on his own. So I think at some point we'll see Alexa Bliss. After that, we see The New Day versus Cesaro and Nakamura for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. We see Woods hasn't missed a step. You know, The New Day was in control to start this match. Then the match became back and forth. Kofi then hit a spot, which I thought was pretty cool. He does uh, like a spinning DDT to Cesaro on the outside. He almost messed it up, but he ends up catching it. We see Nakamura and Cesaro end up taking control. They try to go for their tag finisher, but we see Xavier Wood hold on to Nakamura's leg. And then Woods blind tags Kofi as soon as Kofi hits the trouble in paradise on Cesaro. Then Woods ends up hitting his elbow to win the tag team titles. So again, we see the New Day as your tag team champions. Is it something that most of us want to see? I'm not really sure if we want to see them have the tag team championships again. But then again, I don't really know of much tag teams on SmackDown for Cesaro Nakamura to go against. You know, I'm tired of seeing them go against Lucha House Party. So if someone had to take the titles off of them, at least it was the New Day. After that, the draft continues. We see Raw take the New Day, but SmackDown takes Big E. So they split up the New Day. No more trio. We only see Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston move to Raw. And now since they're tag team champions, they'll be bringing those SmackDown championships to Raw, which means the Street Profits will probably be moving over to SmackDown, so prepare yourself for that one. Then they announced Dana Brooke is now on Raw. We already knew that. Another pointless mention. Then we see SmackDown get Otis, and Angel Garza gets drafted to Raw. So, we haven't really seen any major changes besides Seth Rollins and the Mysterio family and the New Day. I feel like they're saving all their big draft picks for Monday Night Raw since it's three hours. So, I think SmackDown will get some new people on Raw next week. I also forgot to mention that Miz and Morrison are now on Raw. I got so distracted with the Dominic and Rey Mysterio thing that I forgot to mention that. But we pan to a backstage segment with Otis. He's preparing for the trial that the Miz and Morrison had. But since they're now on Raw, they actually delayed this trial. They had someone come and say, hey, this is going to be delayed. And so I hope they just cut this segment out. I hope we don't have to hear about Otis and the Miz and Morrison ever again. After that, we see Sasha Banks then chat 
challenge Bailey to a women's Hell in a Cell match for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Sasha Banks says she's going to take what's most precious to Bailey, and that's that women's championship. So, like I said, that's exactly what they were building up for. We knew what they were building up for. Now we move on to the main event of SmackDown. It's The Fiend versus Kevin Owens. Owens brings the fight to The Fiend, but The Fiend just stands back up and dominates him. The Fiend then takes the fight to the outside. We see him then deliver a sister Abigail onto the announce table. We see The Fiend then bring back Kevin Owens into the ring. He also tries to go for another sister Abigail, but Kevin Owens ends up countering it. He hits a super kick on The Fiend who doesn't even move. He doesn't flinch. No, nothing. It takes two more super kicks to put The Fiend down. Owens ends up taking control, but he wasn't able to keep The Fiend down once again. Owens put The Fiend through announce table. The first time it was a botch, he tried to pop up powerbomb him, but he wasn't able to lift up Bray Wyatt the whole way. And then he tries it again and ends up putting The Fiend through the table, who ends up standing quickly like he never even went through the table. So I like that they're still keeping this factor of The Fiend that you cannot keep him down. The Fiend ends up breaking the count, goes in the ring. He puts the mandible claw on Kevin Owens. Then Owens hits a stunner, but The Fiend still has the mandible claw on and he ends up tapping out Kevin Owens. Well, technically Owens didn't tap out. He passed out. And after the win, we see the lights go off and The Fiend is at the top of the ramp and there goes Alexa Bliss. They're like staring face to face at each other and that's how SmackDown goes off the air. I think this SmackDown was fantastic. I think that the Big E match and Sheamus match will go down as one of the greatest SmackDown matches there is. And I feel like SmackDown is on the roll right now and they need to keep it going. We also learned that on Saturday there was some more draft picks. Uh, We've seen Humberto Carrillo go to Raw. We've seen Tucker split up from Otis. He's going to Raw. Drew Gulag will remain on Raw. And oh Jesus, Buddy Murphy to SmackDown and Kalisto to SmackDown. So the Lucha House Party is broken up. We know they had cracks, so I knew eventually it was going to happen where they'll be split up. But Buddy Murphy to SmackDown, you couldn't keep him on Raw? Like, why? Like, why do you have to continue this segment? I know they were going to have Seth Rollins and Buddy Murphy feud on Raw, but with Seth Rollins leaving, I thought that was dead, but it's not. So prepare yourself for two hours of Seth Rollins, Mysterios, and Buddy Murphy because I'm tired of it, and I I don't even want to see that anymore. And they're just shoving it down our throat. But that ends our weekly review of all our brands. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I hope it was very informational. Like I always say, you could reach me on Twitter at Wrestling From. You can also reach me on Facebook at Ray Colazzo. I think a lot of the brands this week was really jam-packed, and I hope I covered everything. I hope if you didn't watch it, I hope that I help you want to watch it. You should watch most of it, the dog collar match. You should watch, you know, Ali join Retribution. It's different. And we're going to continue with the draft on Monday, so just stick around for that. So this ends episode six of Wrestling From the Crowd. My name is Ray. Have a good morning, good evening, and good night wherever you are. Thank you for listening.